0: Hey everyone, welcome back to Campfire Stories. I'm Amy Scott, and today we're doing another true crime case, but I think this is a first on my channel. Today we're doing one that's unsolved. We're covering the 2017 murder Of Barry and Honey Sherman. Barry and Honey Sherman were found dead in their home on December 15th, 2015. They were a very wealthy Canadian couple. Barry worked in the pharmaceutical industry and um, they were billionaires, like legit billionaires. You know, the kind of people that um, have a level of wealth that most of us can't even imagine. And on December 15th, 2017, They were found dead in their home. One thing I wanted to mention before we get started covering this case, because it's something I'd like you guys to keep in mind as you watch, is that there's been very kind of mixed reviews on Barry. Some people say that Barry would give you the shirt off his back. He was known to loan money out to people who needed it. He would finance businesses that other friends had. um, Just known to be very giving. Him and his wife gave tons of money, and I'm talking millions and millions of dollars to charity. Um, But on the other side of that, people called Barry combative. They said that as a businessman, he could be very, very difficult to deal with. He was known to sue the pants off basically everyone. Um, The government, um, other companies, people working for him. Um, In one instance, he sued all the people who built his home for him and basically recouped the cost of that portion of the renovation on his home. Um, So like I said, very mixed reviews on Barry. And I'd like you to keep that in mind as we go through this case because police have said that they believe that this is money motivated. So we're going to go through a lot of times when Barry had people who were unhappy with him, um, mostly related to money, and I want you to keep that in mind, that there were some things about Barry that lots of people didn't like, and also that police believe that this case is money-motivated. Barry Sherman had been born to Jewish parents in Toronto. Both sets of his grandparents had been Holocaust survivors and had immigrated to Canada. Um, His mother was Sarah Sherman and his father was Herbert Sherman. Herbert Sherman ran a zipper factory and then passed away when Barry was still quite young, I think about 10, and then his mother, Sarah, became an occupational therapist after his father passed away. Barry is very, very smart from a very young age. He won a national physics contest while attending uh, high school and graduated with top marks. After that, he went to the U of T to take engineering. Graduated early and was at the U of T uh, University of Toronto at 16 years old He was one of the youngest people in the engineering department and he admits that he chose to take engineering because he knew it was difficult He wanted something that challenged him. He graduated um, from the U of T with his bachelor's and then went on to MIT to get a PhD And when I was looking at the dates, it was interesting because he did that in only three years. And for those of you who have been to graduate school or who who have looked at graduate school, um, I think most people take a lot longer than three years to get a PhD. So there's the master's first, and then I think the typical time to finish a PhD, even though you can do it in four, um, can range up to seven years. So um, for him to do his PhD in three, which I'm guessing there was some master's work in there, um, shows that Barry was just very, very intelligent. During summers, he would work for his uncle, who was named Louis Winter, and this person is very important to our story, so keep his name in mind. Um, And Louis owned Empire Laboratories. It was Canada's largest wholly-owned pharmaceutical company, and um, Barry did lots of things for his uncle. He delivered things, he picked up deliveries, and then when his uncle went off on vacation or something like that, he would often look after the lab. At some point before 1967, his uncle passes away because it's in 1967 that Barry buys the laboratory from his uncle's estate. And this kind of starts an ongoing legal battle because his uncle has minor children. And so the estate sells Barry, the company, with the understanding basically that he would... um, set aside part of that company for the minor children, but that could only be voided if Barry were to sell the company, and we're going to get into that in a little bit, because that's kind of where everything kicks off legally, I think. One thing, though, is he also noted that, um, I guess when he was younger, his dad took him to the zipper factory and had him count and package zippers, and... Um, That was kind of what made him think that, gee, this is what I want to do. I want to own a business and be an entrepreneur. Um, His dad was very impressed said that he packed more zippers than all the other employees. And uh, Barry said he was offended because his dad then counted all the zippers and all the boxes he packed to make sure they were correct. But his dad was very impressed with him. So, as I said, Barry owned his uncle's company at this time, and he had an agreement in place that basically stated that he needed to um, basically take care of his uncle's minor children. I think he had to give them jobs, there was a percentage of the company that they were uh, supposed to get, I think it was 5%, um, and that could only be voided if Barry sold the company, which he did in January of 1972. But where the legal wrangling with this starts is that he turned around and created his own pharmaceutical company, Apotex, with the proceeds of selling his uncle's company. And I want you to keep that in mind because it becomes important as we go through this case. Um, It was one of the legal issues that was kind of rearing its ugly head when Barry passed. Barry did very, very well when it came to pharmaceuticals. By 2016, Apotex had employed over 10,000 people and was one of Canada's largest drug manufacturers. Um, it should be noted though that when Barry was killed, I guess they were on a bit of a downturn and they were laying off some staff. but I guess lots of companies go through, you know, kind of, uh, ebb and flow, and maybe it wasn't so odd, maybe it was coincidental, we don't really know. As I said, Barry did really, really well when it came to pharmaceuticals, but when it came to other businesses, eh, not so much. Um, Friends have said that he was known to kind of get pulled in into things that Um, were probably fraudulent, he was way too trusting, he didn't do his due diligence. Basically, if he considered you a friend and you came to him with a business idea, he'll probably give you some money, which isn't the best decision to make a lot of the time. One time he put a bunch of money into a yacht renting company, but that company turned out to have zero yachts to rent out. Um, He also was a majority stakeholder in a nutritional supplement company that was owned by a fraudster named Kevin Trudeau. He was also partners with a man named Frank D'Angelo, who was a juice maker and was trying to branch out into other businesses. And this relationship probably wasn't his best decision either. They produced a drink called Cheetah Power Surge Energy Drink and started Steelback Brewery and then D'Angelo went bankrupt in 2007, and this cost Sherman over a hundred million dollars. So as I said, a very, very trusting person, um, which is in contrast to what a lot of other people say in regards to his pharmaceutical businesses is that he was very cutthroat, very business-minded, but when it came to these other businesses, he seemed to be someone who could kind of be taken for a ride a little bit. Barry married Honey in 1971. She was a fellow U of T graduate and also the child of Jewish immigrants. Her grandparents as well were concentration camp survivors, and they settled in Toronto and raised four children, Jonathan, Lauren, Alexandra, and Kaylin. Honey loved to socialize and Barry would go with her, but it was mostly Honey doing the socializing while Barry would kind of be in a corner going over business. So Honey was the one in the couple who really enjoyed, I guess, the... Um, nightlife in Toronto, or is that the right word when you're rich? (laughs) The high life, I guess? Um, You're talking big fancy events and all that sort of stuff where they would donate a lot of money and that was really Honey's jam. That's what she liked to do. Barry, not so much. He was more into the business side of things. I found this part really, really interesting because I'm sure if you know any businessmen you know that they play a lot of golf. They use it to network, they use it to meet new people, They used it to strike business deals, but Barry notably didn't play golf. He preferred to just pour over his paperwork and do business that way. And Barry was also known to be frugal, even though he lived in a large house and he and his wife would give all this money to charity, he notably drove a car basically until it died. Um, and he was known for this. His wife at one time got him a brand new car for his 50th birthday, you know, did the big show of putting a bow on it and all that stuff, and Barry had to return it and said he didn't need it. It's interesting because I think we think of the ultra-rich, you know, like Barry Sherman or even Elon Musk or whoever you want to pick, as being really motivated by money. But, uh, the more I learn about people like Barry, I don't really think that's the case. I think for Barry business was, um, a goal. Like, he, he loved kind of pushing the stakes forward and meeting them, and I'm sure he also liked kind of the power and prestige that came with it, and I'm sure the nice houses and things were great, but as we can see by his car, um, it wasn't really wanting to flaunt his wealth or having, you know, this a massive amount of wealth, I think, that motivated him. I think business, for a lot of people like Barry, is kind of a game, and you're always trying to see how far you can go. I talked a little bit already about Barry his wife Honey's charitable donations, and I'm going to give a bit more detail on that now, because they really, really gave away a lot of money, such as $50 million to the United Jewish Appeal and other Jewish charities, and they also provided funds to build major additions to the Baycrest Health Sciences Geriatric Center and other community centers in Toronto. So when I say they were philanthropists, I'm not just kind of saying that. Like, they gave away a lot of money. $50 million, even if you're a billionaire, that's a lot of money. And also, Barry's company was very charitable as well. Apotex has donated $50 million to Disaster zones since 2007. Sherman was also known to be very personally generous, too. If he noticed an Apotex employee struggling, he would just kind of bring out the checkbook and take care of his employees, which is kind of a contrast to this kind of shrewd businessman that we see later on as we're going through some of the litigation that he engaged in um, and what some of his competitors have to say about him. Um, But him and his wife could be very, very generous. I think when it comes to Barry Sherman, what side of him you get very much depends on the way he's looking at you so are you going to give him something or are you in his way because when you listen to these next two people and what they have to say about barry sherman they're polar opposites and the difference in who they are is one of them is someone who can very much help barry sherman and the other one is someone who's standing in his way so the mayor of toronto at the time was a man named john tory and he's described Barry Sherman, as kind and good, and has always praised him for his charitable giving. Meanwhile, on the other side of that spectrum, we have a man named Morton Shulman, who was a physician and a former member of Ontario Parliament, who late in his life fought Sherman over drug development and called him, quote, the only person I have ever met with no redeeming features whatsoever. So... Those two descriptions couldn't be more different. John Tory basically falling over himself, saying that he's a good person, that he gives lots of money and blah, 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 blah. And then there's this other person who was, I think, trying to regulate the drug industry in Canada, basically saying that he has no redeeming features whatsoever. Like... He has nothing good to say about him. Another article that was published after Barry's death said that some rival generic drug company executives had used unprintable language to describe him. So basically what they had said about him was so bad that they couldn't print it. A lot of people had problems with Barry's excessive litigation when it came to his pharmaceutical company. He would file hundreds of lawsuits, and this cost taxpayers billions of dollars. And some people believe this crossed some ethical boundaries when it comes to how he did business. But in contrast, Barry saw himself basically as Robin Hood, basically saying, if we're thieves, we're Robin Hood's. So if we're if we're stealing, we're doing it for the good of of the country. I guess. I don't I don't know where he was going with that. I don't see how excessive litigation costing Canadians billions of dollars in tax money could be seen as Robin Hooding. It doesn't make any sense to me. And in a quote from 2001, this is interesting, he says, the branded drug companies hate us. They have private investigators on us all the time. The thought once came to my mind, why didn't they just hire someone to knock me off? And he wasn't out to left field saying that the branded drug companies hated him that much because they did. One of them is admitted to thinking that they might plant drugs on him, I guess in an effort to get him caught up in legal trouble and try and lure his employees over to their company. It's all very, very weird to me, this like over-the-top, almost like bond villain world of pharmaceutical drugs. Um, I guess for us it's easy to think, oh, we just go, we get a prescription and we pick it up and we take it home and we take it and that's it, but there's so much money in this industry that it's not hard to see where this kind of fighting and um, hatred can come from before i get into the timeline of the litigation that barry engaged in i wanted to mention that right before he died he had lost a 500 million dollar lawsuit and Apotex was experiencing some financial hardships and had been laying off some staff. So, is this part of the story of why he was murdered? I don't I don't know. No one's ever said, but it is notable. What Apotex would do when a regulatory body stepped in and tried to create some rules that would keep Canadians safe was sue. So, they wouldn't just take these rules and uh, follow them. They're kind of plan for all of this, every time one of them popped up that affected them, was to sue the government. And they did this multiple times. As I said, a lot of people had criticized them because they apparently have cost taxpayers in Canada, um, billions of dollars. I think this number will put how litigious Barry was into perspective. At the time of his death, there was an estimated 1,200 cases against the government in federal court, uh, from Apotex. So um, 1,200 cases just just at that moment against the federal government. I think this shows that you know when Barry had something come across his plate that he didn't like, what he did was sue them. Just sue the pants off them. That was kind of what he did. And Barry himself once said that his company was a legal business that kind of dabbled in pharmaceuticals. So even he realized that his main task was to basically sue everyone so that they didn't affect his company's bottom line. There's one story from the 90s that shows, first of all, how quick Barry is to sue, how forceful he is in wanting to do business and make money at the cost of whatever, and also the amount of power that he has. So in the 1990s, I guess I'm not a drugs expert, so I can't say why, but it became less profitable in Canada to make Uh, generic drugs, and so Barry decided that he was going to try and start developing his own drugs. So what he did was he started trying to uh, formulate a drug with the help of um, some doctors that would treat a blood disorder. And he kind of kept pushing and pushing, and one of the main people in this study was very concerned. They were like, okay, is this drug useful? Is it safe? And um, I guess weren't really getting the answers they wanted from Barry on wanting to make sure that those things were true, that it was safe and would be helpful. And so they went against their non-disclosure agreement and published their results. And this just started a cascade of problems for this person. Apotex, what they did was they tried to damage this person's reputation. They... Um, took them to court, obviously. Um, the U of T, where this person had been working, it took the company's side because Apotex, you have to remember, donates a lot of money. So when the University of Toronto has a choice to make between their staff member and Apotex, even if their staff member is doing the most ethical thing, they're going to go where the money is, and this starts to show the power that Barry has. At the time, there was a $20 million research deal on the line, and they took that $20 million instead of protecting their staff member and relieve this person of their job. And it took this person years, but they, I guess, got their own lawyers involved and eventually got their job back. But it goes to show how powerful someone like Barry Sherman is. If he doesn't like what's going on, he's going to step in and ruin your life. In 2011, Barry gets tangled up in legal issues with his cousins. I'm going to call these people the Winter Children because that's their surname, and they are the children of his uncle whose business Barry purchased. Um, And I guess what Barry had been doing was just kind of feeding these kids money. And... Um, giving the money and hoping that they wouldn't really kind of dig too deep, or that's what they have said in their legal documents. So they feel, instead of properly paying them for their father's company, which he had sold, that he had kind of just given them money to keep them quiet, basically, and hope that they wouldn't notice that nothing was going on, and also to make them dependent on him. Now, if you think this sounds a little bit outlandish, so did the judge, and the Winter Children didn't win, but it's hard not to see why they would be angry, because Barry used a legal loophole, basically sold their father's company, which rightfully part of it should have been theirs, and then used that money to create a very similar company, which was now making billions of dollars. And I guess when they were old enough to kind of start thinking really clearly about it, they were like, wait, something doesn't smell good here. And even though they lost their case, I can totally see where they were coming from and why they were mad. So, Barry did win that case, and I guess the cousins, uh, the Winter children, had been ordered to pay his legal fees, but they had said that they were going to appeal. They never got the chance, though, because Barry died just a few months later. So, this took a long time to wind through the court system, though. You'll notice that I said it started in 2011, but it wasn't until 2017, right before Barry passed, that this was at the Supreme Court and was given a final ruling, even though they said they were going to appeal. Um... So yeah, Barry would just kind of tie you up in legal strings and leave you to drown. And he cut off all of his cousins, which I don't really blame him for at this point, but cut off all their financial um, the aid that he was giving them and basically took away uh, their ability to fight for what they thought was theirs. Another one that's interesting is, personally, him and his wife were renovating their house, and they sued the contractors. And just to be clear, I, I I work in construction and I've seen some really bad builds. So I'm not saying this never happens. There are many times when people are more than in the right to sue their contractors. But knowing what we know about Barry, we have to kind of look at this lawsuit with a grain of salt. So they had renovations done to their house, they said they were unhappy, and they sued to the tune of $2.3 million, and they got almost all of that money, and just coincidentally, that was the exact cost of that renovation, so they basically had that work done for free. Although Barry and his wife were very publicly Jewish and donated a lot of money to Jewish causes and organizations, Barry was an atheist, and he said that he doesn't believe in God, free will, altruism, or morality, and said, quote, I find no inconsistency in holding intellectually that life has no meaning, while at the same time being highly motivated to survive and to achieve. And this one's a bit for me to wrap my head around. So life has no meaning, but he still feels it's important to keep striving, uh, moving forward, I guess you could say. There's a lot more I could get into in terms of Barry Sherman and his litigation and also his political kind of manipulation, but um, I could go on about all of that for hours. If you would like to read up more about it, honestly his Wikipedia page is just a treasure trove of information. Um, it's one of the better Wikipedia pages that I've seen for any of these cases and if you want to know more about how much he sued people or You know what he was doing politically to try and get his way I would encourage you to just go give it a read and then click on some of the references There's also another reporter for the star his name is Kevin Donovan and he has covered this case basically every little bit and piece Um Kevin Donovan has covered. I think he's written a book about it. So if you Google him and the star, you're going to get a whole lot of information on this case as well. So that's kind of the life of Barry Sherman up until December 15th, 2017. And I want to know what you guys think. Um, As I said, lots of people said he could be really generous, but on the other side, a very cutthroat business person, um, ready to basically sue the pants off you to get what he wants. So what do you think of him? What kind of person he was? I guess my take on it is there's two sides of most people, but most of us don't have such an extreme. I think when it came to business, Barry much was very much like the quote he said about, you know, um, wanting to achieve and strive. And so he would step over whatever he needed to, to help his business thrive. And I don't think that he saw anything wrong with that. But that doesn't also mean that he isn't... um, you know, caring in other aspects, you know, giving his money to charity. Um, Most of his children have good things to say about him and that sort of thing. So I think he's a person who has two very different sides to him. But I'd be curious what you guys think if you want to leave a comment. And also, before we move on to talking about his death, again, the police say that this is money motivated. So now, hearing all of this stuff, you know, he's got several business partners that are unhappy with him. Um, He's got competing businesses that are unhappy with him. He's got family that might be unhappy with him. Well, what do you guys think um, heading into talking about his death? You know, if this is money motivated, what what could that possibly mean in the context of this case? Does it mean that the police think that someone who wanted to get their hands on his money killed him? Or possibly it could mean that someone who could benefit from his death monetarily um, could be responsible. So not necessarily someone who could get his money, but maybe someone who would make money as a result of Barry dying. So there's two different ways to look at this and just kind of keep that in mind as we go over the details of his death. So in 2017, the Shermans had been living in their current home for a long time, but they decided it was time to move on. They wanted to move out of the neighborhood they were in and closer to downtown Toronto. That was where a lot of their friends lived. And so they bought a lot and their plan was to tear down the existing house there and then build a new one. And as a result, they were putting the home that they lived in up for sale. It's said that Honey was the one who instigated the move and then picked out a corner lot in November of 2017 where they would like to build that new house. They were already well into planning for this house. Um, they had had to file a bunch of variances with the city, I think, for an extra deep garage, and then also some sort of car stacker. I guess that's something that rich people have where you can drive cars in, I'm guessing, and it stacks them in, I, I don't know, like like Hot Wheels, but real life. And this house was going to be massive, 16,000 square feet. And so it was later in the year that they put their current home on the market, asking about $7 million for it. And so there would have been lots of traffic in the house. You know, when you're selling a home, um, the real estate agents are going to be in and out with clients and all that sort of thing. And they were also kind of planning their build for their new house as well heading into December. So we're going to pick up on December 13th. So it's morning, both of the Shermans get up, Honey was very, very adamant that Barry needed to work out, so he went and had a session with his trainer where it said that he tried his best to not really work out. <laughs> um, but I guess he did, kinda, and then left and headed to work. Honey then had her workout with the personal trainer, and then she had a two-hour massage. So Barry was at work kind of doing normal work things. He also sent some money to his son, who was going through the journey of trying to um, have a child, and they wanted to use a surrogate, so Barry had sent a payment for that, and it was all kind of business as usual. Around 5 o'clock, Honey shows up, and so do the builders for their new home, and they spend some time discussing the plans. And it's said that they were originally supposed to meet at the house, but for whatever reason, they didn't. They met at Apotex. I guess Barry probably worked late a lot of the time, and this probably just worked best for them. So... Um, we're heading into the evening. I think it's about 6 45 when the meeting wraps up, and Honey and the builders leave, and Barry stays at Apotex to finish off his day. Honey goes out afterwards. She needs to buy some Hanukkah gifts for her grandchildren, and she gets home to their house around 8 o'clock. Barry stayed at work until about 8.30, sending emails. Um, His last email sent was at 8.23 p.m., and then by 9 o'clock, he was also home. Barry didn't call anyone that night either, which is odd because a lot of people said that he would call people at all hours of the night for business. He often had insomnia, and it wasn't odd for him to make late-night phone calls. And also of note, Honey was planning to leave on vacation in a couple days, so I'm sure she would have been getting ready for that, and then Barry was supposed to follow her a few days after she left. The next day is December 14th, and Barry doesn't show up for work. People are kind of mildly concerned, but not really. Um, Barry's the boss, he can kind of do what he wants, it is out of character for him to kind of not be responding to urgent requests, but again, it's Barry Sherman, he's the boss, and he can do what he wants. Um, his executive assistant has said that she just kind of assumed, I guess he had a new grandchild that had just arrived, I think one of his daughters had just had a baby, so she just assumed that maybe he was spending some time with his grandchild, and although it was out of character, no one was really worried at this point. So it's not until the next morning that what had happened to Barry and Honey Sherman was discovered. It's December 15th, it's the morning, and there's a real estate agent stopping by with a couple potential buyers. So they enter the house, they use Um, I'm sure you guys have seen on houses that are for sale. They have those lock boxes where realtors have access to the house. So they gain access that way. And the real estate agent starts showing um, the prospective buyers around the house. And they do the whole main floor. And then they walk downstairs and find Barry and Honey Sherman. Barry and Honey's bodies were next to their in-ground pool. Both of their necks were tied with leather belts to a metal railing that was just over... Uh, The pool um, to kind of hold them up, and they were kind of in a sitting position, and I think Barry's legs were crossed, and it was brought up later on that it actually kind of mimicked a sculpture that they had in their basement, which is just very, very odd to me. It's notable, though, too, that um, the belts around their neck isn't actually what killed them, so their hands were bound and their necks had these belts around them, but the belts were there to stage them. Um, It wasn't the item that was used to kill them, because when they took the belts off their necks, they noticed that there was a different set of ligature marks around their neck that was most likely done by the murder weapon. And the official cause of death was ligature strangulation, which means basically that they were strangled in a way where it wasn't their own body weight that caused them to pass, um, it was um, some other force. So um, so when someone is strangled, say by hanging, it's their body weight that causes their death, but ligature strangulation is um, some other force other than their own body weight that killed them. They had a bathroom in that area as well that Honey wasn't really known to use, but her cell phone was found in there. Um, So it's kind of curious. People have wondered maybe did she go into that bathroom to kind of hide and try and call for help? Was she overpowered? We just don't know. Police are obviously called and they show up and oddly enough, their first thought is that this is a murder-suicide and that Barry has killed Honey and then himself, which when you think about what I just told you about how they died is very improbable. So both of their hands are bound and they are tied Um, at their necks by these belts, kind of holding them in a sitting position, but um, as I said, that's not how they died. They were both strangled before they had these belts put around their necks. So how on earth would Barry Sherman kill both himself and his wife and then, after he was dead, position them and kind of hold them in place with these belts? It just makes no sense Their kids were super, super upset about this when the police kind of leaked that they thought that this was the case, and I don't blame them. And so this is one of those things that gets brought up often uh, in terms of the quality of police work. You know, so much time wasted. I think it took them five weeks to change their opinion on this. And you think of, like, what they could have done in those five weeks if they hadn't thought that Barry killed Honey and then himself. Toronto police have said that they have found no evidence of forced entry into the home, but I think there was also a window open And Barry and Honey were just known to open their door to pretty much anyone. Like if you had knocked on their door and said, hey, I have a flat tire, they probably would have helped you. So um, that's not as telling of a sign as you might think it is because they were just the type of people who, one, often had a window open, two, there was a back door that they often didn't lock, so if someone knew them well enough to know that, they just could have walked right in, and three, if you had just went up to their door and knocked on it and asked for some help, they probably would have let you in. So the Sherman children, obviously unhappy with how the police have handled their parents' case so far, and they go and hire a lawyer by the name of Brian Greenspan, who's a pretty well-known lawyer here in Canada, and he um, hires a private investigator who does their own investigation kind of alongside the police. Um, They actually do their own autopsy, and they're the ones that conclude that the Shermans were murdered. And for some reason, there's some back and forth on handing over these results to the police, and that's another thing that often gets brought up. You know, why would the Sherman family not hand this over to police? And um, that might have been another thing that kind of uh, held the investigation back. Finally, on January 26th, The Toronto police uh, admit that they agree with the Sherman children and their lawyer and investigator and are now calling this a murder. The police have said that they think this is a targeted attack, but they haven't really said um, why they think that or who they think did it. They've been very secretive about what they know and um, basically saying that they don't want to compromise the investigation, which I can definitely understand. And then it's in October of 2018 that their lawyer, Brian Greenspan, announces that the children have put up $10 million as a reward. But also at the same time, he's complaining about the police work, saying that he thinks the police missed some very critical um, evidence, probably um, while they were, you know, thinking that Barry had killed Honey. Police, of course, are very defensive, saying that they're working on this case, they're working as hard as they can, and that they are doing their best to solve this case. It's on April 25th of 2019 that the Toronto police come forward and say that they have a working theory on this case and they have an idea of what happened, but they don't really elaborate on what that means. Previous statements from the police had said that they thought that Barry and Honey Sherman were killed on December 15th, but now that timeline is revised. They think that they died quite shortly after they arrived home on December 13th. So let's get into the motives and suspects. Unfortunately, I'm just going to say outright, there's no really publicly named suspects, but there is a lot of talk about motive. So one of the big theories is that given Barry's business dealings, that that could somehow be related um He has some business partners or former business partners with criminal records and that sort of thing. He also has family who's mad at him. um, And he has competitors in the pharmaceutical industry who could uh, be seen as having something to gain by him dying. So there's a lot of different motives in this case. So as I mentioned earlier, at the time of his death, Barry had just won a ruling against his cousins, the uh, Winters of $300,000. They had to pay his legal fees. They had been suing him in regards to the sale of their father's company, so that's one kind of puzzle piece to this. One of the cousins has acknowledged that, yeah, I can see why people might think that it was me, but it's it's not. He said that he was at home watching TV that day and had been to a Narcotics Anonymous meeting and, um, yeah, basically acknowledges, I can see why you think it might be me, but it's not. Um, which is I don't think what someone who did this would say. Barry's only son, Jonathan, is also someone who's been brought up. He said that he's had nothing to do with it. Him and his father had some back and forth about money. I guess Barry had lent him a lot of money to start up his own company. And then when he lost that $500 million lawsuit, he started going to Jonathan and asking for that money back because I guess he wanted to leverage that money back into his business. And But Jonathan says that they were very cordial about it, he knew that his dad loved him, and that he um, was all in on helping his son with his business, he just needed that money at that time, and that there was no real grudge between them. Um, but his own sister, Alexandra, has questioned whether or not he's been involved. Um, but for the record, Jonathan says no, that he had no involvement. Also, according to court documents that were released in January of 2022, Barry owed a lot of money, um, $1 billion to other companies leading up to his death, which he didn't really have an intention of paying back. I don't really know what that means. You know, was he planning to sue them like he always did? Was he planning to declare bankruptcy. I I don't know, but he didn't have an intent to pay that money back, apparently. Another person that's often mentioned is Frank D'Angelo, one of uh, Barry's former business partners, but he's also said, nope, not me. I can see why you might think it was me, but not me. He said that he was very sad when Barry passed and that um, he had wished he could do more to save him. And then he also says something weird along the lines of like, Barry was offered something he couldn't refuse, but he did, which is very cryptic, and I don't really know what that means either, but I do think it's interesting. And then in November of 2020, police announced that they do have a person of interest. They don't say who it is, and they also clarify that it could be persons or person. They don't even want to tell us if it's one or more people. And then on December 14th of 2021, this is near the four-year anniversary of Barry and Honey's death, the police release a security video footage of someone walking outside their house. So I guess that they had gone over hours and hours of security footage because if you think of where Barry and Honey lived, a lot of the houses are going to have security cameras. And um, after going through all this tape, this was the one person that they couldn't identify and eliminate. Um, It's a man or a woman. Their face is not shown. They're, you know, five foot six to five foot nine. And they say that they do have more video footage of this person, but it's not as good as what they're releasing. And to be honest, what they're releasing isn't very good at all. Like, you can't make out their face, you can't even tell if it's a man or a woman. They do say that this person has a distinctive walk, kind of lifting um, one of their foot up, kind of oddly. And I'm just not really sure how useful this lead is, because just to be honest, it's not a very good shot of this person. You can't really make out who it is, you don't even know if it's a man or a woman, and I'll put a screenshot up for you to see for yourself, but I know I definitely couldn't ID that person. So I'm I'm just not sure um, if this is as helpful as they are hoping it will be. But police do say that they are confident that this person has something to do with the case. They say that their behavior around the Sherman house was very, very suspicious, and notably, remember I said that uh, both of the Shermans, Barry and Honey, were home by 9? This video was taken just after 9 o'clock. Also in January of 2022, there were court documents released that um, kind of disclosed what Honey's sister Mary had to say, and it's it's kind of interesting. And so I guess Honey was very pro-Israel and had somehow been convinced that in donating money to certain organizations that she was funding Muslim extremism. And she felt that Barry was donating money to some of these sorts of organizations. I don't know if this is true or not. I don't know where specifically they were donating their money. I don't know if Honey was right to think this or not, but that's just where her brain was. So she's a woman who's very pro-Israel and um, is very scared of Muslim extremism, just to kind of set the picture. And this is all coming from her sister. So, um, it's not something that I've just kind of thought up. This is coming from her sister. And she said that they had a lot of work being done on their home. Um, and they don't outright say by Muslim people, but they say by a certain ethnicity. And they mentioned that honey wasn't always the most politically correct. Um, and that's kind of in these released court documents. Now, I don't, I kind of take all this with a grain of salt because what you have here is a woman who's very wealthy and, um, maybe, maybe slightly racist, Uh, I, I, I can't say, um, but I don't, I don't think that someone working in your home would hear you say something that wasn't politically correct, or maybe it was a slur, let's be honest here, let's call it what it is, a slur, um, and come back and kill you. I don't know if that's the most reasonable assumption, given all of the other things that are going on in this case with Barry's, um, business dealings, and that sort of thing. Um, The other part that isn't really painted as well as maybe Mary had hoped was, does she think that maybe Muslim extremists did this? I I don't know. So the suspects are still at large. Um, As for the recent updates, uh, Jonathan Sherman has told uh, the CBC that he's raising the reward to $25 million, so he's added another $15 million to the original $10 million, hoping to kind of spur people to have another look maybe at that security footage and see if they kind of know who that person is, and just kind of um, keep the case in the news so that hopefully he can find his parents' murders. There was also very recently a statement from their daughter Alexandra, just again asking the public to come forward if they know anything, and she would just really like to see justice for her parents. The Toronto Star also reported on October 28th of 2022 that the homicide detective on this case has started looking internationally to solve it, so they haven't really said what that means, but basically that he's looking at the fact that perhaps the suspect is from outside of the country. And as I said, there's a man named Kevin Donovan, who writes for the Star. He's wrote a lot about this case. He wrote a very, very good article just recently that goes over the timeline, kind of the days of the murder, and what everyone else was doing during that time. And I'll link that below if you'd like to read it. And um, once you go and read that one, um, the Star is going to link pretty much all of uh, the other articles that they've done on this case. And they're one of the news organizations that's covered this case very, very heavily. So what do you guys think? Um, it's been five years just recently since Barry and Honey were murdered, and we still don't know for sure who did it. Um, like, what do you guys think after hearing everything about how Barry did business, about some of their family issues, um, about that odd little tangent about, um, Honey not wanting to give money to Muslim extremism? Um, I'm curious what you guys think. I think that this case is very solvable. And I think that, you know, um, since I've been researching it, I think... I think the police have a really good idea of what happened here, and I think they haven't told us because they don't have enough information to charge the people or person, people who are responsible. Um, When I was reading one of Kevin Donovan's articles, he said he too has a pretty good idea of what happened and um, believes that the police do as well, Um, but I'd like to know what you think. Do the police just know nothing, or are they keeping their cards close to their chest because they do know something? and hopefully soon we'll know what happened to Barry and Honey Sherman. That wraps up my coverage of this case. I hope you found this video informative and educational. If you'd like to know more about Barry and Honey Sherman, I'm going to link a few articles down below. As I said, The Star and Kevin Donovan have done a lot of coverage of this case. If there's anything you need to know, um, just go Google Kevin Donovan and the Star and I'm sure it will pop up for you. I think he's written a book as well. And yeah, this one just stumps me a bit how no one's been arrested yet because I feel like I feel like there's so many leads and motives to look at that are just very publicly known that... Um, There has to be an answer somewhere. We have to figure out eventually who killed Barry and Honey Sherman. That wraps up my video. I'll see you again next week.